going to begin reading at verse 13 and read down through verse 18. Ephesians 6, 13. Wherefore, wherefore is a conjunction, if I remember my English correctly, which means it's predicated upon what was preceding. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So the title of the message tonight, Take Up God's Armor. Take Up God's Armor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. Thank you for the instruction, the practical instruction it gives us to how to live a successful Christian life. And be able to be victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Wickedness in high places. So Lord, we pray you help us to see the truth tonight. That we need to take up your armor. Put it on. That we might effectively serve you. And be faithful. Until you call us home. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take up God's armor. The word take up or take unto means to take up a thing in order to carry or to use it. To use it. A couple other words here. To withstand means to set oneself against. To withstand, resist, or oppose. And of course stand is similar. It means to stand immutable. Stand firm. It's like the foundation of a building. You want it to stand firm, uh, to continue to be safe and sound, unharmed, uh, be ready, prepared, be of a steadfast mind. So we're, we're talking about remaining steadfast, unchanged, immutable, uh, firm, faithful in our walk with the Lord. That's the idea here. You know, we we've just came through five walks in chapter 5. And so we're talking about our walk with God, and, 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 and Paul concludes this, this, this book with saying, it is a walk of warfare. We're in a battle. And, and if we're going to be able to be, to be victorious in this battle, we have to take unto us the armor of God. Uh, the word picture, as someone said here, in a figure, is of one who vanquishes his adversaries and holds his ground. You remember... One of David's mighty men, it says that he, he, he uh, in a field of lentils, he defended it about an acre, and the sword claved to his hand. I've, I've discovered as I get older what that means. I used to laugh at my father-in-law. You know, we'd be out there working carpentry and driving nails with a hammer, and after a while he'd say, oh, and he'd look over and he's trying to pry his hand off the hammer because it's cramped. I don't laugh at that anymore, but you know his hand claved to the sword. Um, <laughs> he he holds the ground. 
Paul in Acts chapter 26 and verse 22 said this, Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue. You know, he unchanged. He continued unto this day. And that's the idea there. Witnessing both the small and great, saying none of those things than those with the prophets and Moses did say should come. So we're to take unto us this armor of God. We looked last week that we are, we face a formidable enemy uh, with lots of power, very organized, you know, principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. And this enemy is very smart and deceitful. And so we need the armor of God. So I want to look at that armor tonight. Consider that armor. First of all, we have truth. We have truth. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Of course, your loins would be the middle midsection of your body. And, but the word truth here is not talking about the Bible, but it's talking about truth as personal excellence. Candor of mind which is free from affectation, pretense or simulation, falsehood or deceit. So it's really... The idea here is uh, it's, it's being honest, straightforward, transparent, no guy. No guy. You know, the world's full of guile, deceit, a hidden agenda, motives to their madness that they don't want you to know about. Um, and we see that everywhere. But... With us, we're to be, we're to be truthful. We're to, we're to put on truth. Psalm 32.2 says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. No guile. Of course, speaking about Jesus, in, in John 1.47, you know, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Now, why do you say that? Because... Whatever, you know, Nathaniel was very transparent about what he thought about people from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's the one that said that. He's very transparent. There was nothing hidden about what you saw he was. And, of course, the Bible speaks about Jesus. Well, 1 Peter 2.1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. And then in verse 22, it speaks about the Lord, who did no sin, Neither was guile found in his mouth. And in chapter 3 and verse 10 of 1 Peter, again he says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. In Revelation 14, 5, speaking about the 144,000, it says, And in their mouth was found no guile. For they are without fault before the throne of God. Uh, so, so, we're to put on truth. You know, if you're honest, if you're honest, you don't have to ever worry about what you said. You know, unless you're too brutally honest, maybe, you know, maybe you need to apologize the way you said it. But, but you don't have to worry about what you said, about it coming back to haunt you. And there's a part of all these, and, and really all these, if you put them on, you can be confident and have assurance. You don't have to be afraid. And we'll see that as we go along. So we need to put on truth. Truth. You know, Ben Carson said <clears throat> when they, before the last election, when they were when the campaigning, you know, when they were campaigning and 
and there was, you know, there was things being said about other candidates, and, and uh, there was something said to Ben Costner, and he said, I'm not afraid. I don't have any, I don't have any skeletons in my closet. You know, what you see is what you got. Uh, truth. Put on truth. Secondly, we need to put on righteousness in uh, verse 14 again. Stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth and having on the breast, breastplate of righteousness. And of course, the breastplate would be across the chest, this part of the body. And righteousness, the word righteousness is integrity, virtue, purity of life, or uprightness. Uh, it's described as the state of him who is such as he ought to be, the condition that is acceptable to God. So this would protect the heart or the vital organs. You know, in the, the, the Proverbs, Solomon said in the Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So we need to guard our heart. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Doing what is right. And again, if you do what is right, you can have boldness in the day of judgment. When you're examined. You don't have to be afraid. What if they find this out? Or what if they find that out? If you've had righteousness, uh, the proverb speaks a lot, a lot about righteousness and, and its what uh, its effect. Proverbs fourteen twenty six says, "In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge." Proverbs twenty eight one: The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I remember Chuck Coffey telling a story one time about, about this uh, 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 guy who was driving down the road and he saw a cop car coming and he reared off into a farmer's field lane and drove the car as far as he could into the farmer's field lane and then fled on foot. And they couldn't figure out why until they examined the car. It was stolen. The car was stolen. Now, that police officer coming down the road toward him did not know that car was stolen. But the wicked flee when no man pursueth. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Proverbs 10, 9, He that walketh uprightly walketh surely. Again, the idea of righteousness there. But he that perverteth his ways shall be known. Verse Proverbs uh, ten twenty eight says, "The hope of the righteous shall be gladness; the expectation of the wicked shall perish." You know, the wicked are always worried about: Am I going to be found out? You know, the Clintons are being found out. That's been their worry all their life. Uh, Proverbs 10.30 says, The way of the Lord is strength, strength to the upright, but destruction shall be to workers of iniquity. Verse 32, The righteous shall never be moved, but the wicked shall not inhabit the earth. Uh, the lip, lips of the righteous knows, know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speak forwardness. So there's, there's strength, there's confidence, there's boldness in righteousness. You know, righteousness gives us power with God. What does James say about a righteous man? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So you don't have to worry about being ashamed. 
You know, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 6, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. And then again in 119, verse 80, Let my heart be signed in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. And then 116, Uphold me according to thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. So again, we're to put on that breastplate of righteousness that gives us confidence, that gives us boldness. Protects vital organs. Talking about right conduct or integrity. Third thing he says we're to, we're to put on is the a readiness to give the gospel. Notice in verse 15, in your feet shod with preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, notice it says the preparation of the gospel of peace. There needs to be a readiness to give the gospel. This is part of the army. Preparation means a condition of preparedness. How much are you ready? There needs to be a, a readiness of mind of giving out the gospel. You know, is, we, are, we are commanded to give out the gospel, to preach the gospel to every creature. You know, the gospel of the kingdom of God, the need for men to be reconciled to God. You know, we are ambassadors for Christ, and so there needs to be a readiness to give out the gospel. Of course, if you're going to be ready, your preparing takes some effort. Take some work. And so this preparedness keeps us in a, a, a condition of the mind fresh with the gospel. Thinking about the things of God. And you know, we're talking this morning about feeding whatever you feed your mind with is going to direct your actions. And we need to feed the Spirit. If we're, if we're in a readiness to give the gospel, we're going to be continually thinking about that, that sort of, that, uh, giving out the gospel and being prepared to witness. It will put us in a, in a spiritual frame of mind. You know, of course, we are commanded. Look at, look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse uh, 18 through 20. This, this is, we are commanded to, to be ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Uh, so we are ambassadors for Christ, so we need to be in a constant readiness. You know, an ambassador, is his sole job is there to represent our, our, our nation. And he's, in, he's to be in readiness at any time, uh, constantly, to represent us on a, on a, on a foreign uh, uh, state or government. And, and so we are, we are here as God's ambassadors. We have a readiness to give out the gospel. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to every, unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so we are to be in readiness and not be ashamed of the gospel and, and be, be ready to give it out. And readiness requires us to know our weapon. It requires you to know 
what you're given. We'll look at that a little bit later, but 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if we're going to be in readiness to give out the gospel, we have to know what the word of God says. Fourthly, he says we'll take the shield of faith. Verse 16 says, above all, so this is mildly important, take the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, you know, we, we are in a battle. We are, we are living in enemy territory. You might say, well, this is the Bible Belt, Pastor. Yeah, it is. But we're living in enemy territory. This is the kingdom of this world. You know, uh, people, people say it's, it's, it's uh, um, how do I want to say this? This area of the country is more favorable to Christianity. In one sense it is, in another sense it's not. There's a very subtle and deceitful deception here. It's not as easy to see as it is in other parts of the country, which makes it many times more dangerous. Because we have a form of Christianity without the power in most places, most churches. So, you know, we need a shield of faith. You can mark it down. You are going to be slandered, maligned, rejected, falsely accused, mistreated, hated, shot at, maybe not literally with a gun. And you might be. Who knows? Now, do you really want to join in this battle? But Jesus was a victim of all those things. Hence, hence, you need a shield of faith to quench all those fiery darts. Those are the fiery darts. If you are shielded, all these fiery darts will be deflected. A shield, the word shield here refers to a large shield, like a door-shaped shield, which would cover almost your whole body. And, and the purpose of it is, as, as he says here, is to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You know, and so the, the, the shield is faith. And faith, the, the definition I found was this. In the New Testament, it's of a conviction or belief respecting man's relationship with God and divine things, generally with the included idea of trust, holy fervor, born of faith, and conjoined with it, Wherewith you shall be able. Gives you power. The word quench means to extinguish or put out of existence. And of course the word darts here has the idea of darts, uh, of arrows filled with inflammable substances and set on fire. You've probably watched old Indian war movies, you know, and how they come in 
to maybe a fort, and they shoot arrows in that are on fire, how do you put those out? It's almost impossible. You know, they're, in, they're soaked in pitch or some kind of flammable substance and set, set on fire. If you pour water on it, it just scatters. It's like pouring, it's like pouring water on a gasoline fire. You're going to just spread it. But yet the Bible says here, by our faith, we can quench, we can extinguish, we can put out all these fiery darts of the wicked one. They're not phase us. And it's by faith. And it's talking about, when it's referring to the fiery darts, it's talking about annoyances, hardships that are pressed upon us and that we're harassed by, toils and perils of life. Like I say, you're going to be slandered, maligned, rejected, falsely accused. When people reject the gospel and you try to give it to them, they're not really rejecting you, but you may feel rejected. Your family may mistreat you or malign you or slander you because they, some of your family might say that, that you think, they think you hate them. First John 5, go to 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth, or puts their trust and their fervor, their trust and their dependence upon, who believeth, uh, that Jesus is the Son of God. And of course, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so we need to have this shield of faith. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> and this is illustrated in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good report. And now he's going to tell us about those good reports. Um, go, drop down to verse 27. I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but verse 27. By faith, talking about Moses, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him as who is visible. Now, we're talking about enduring annoyances, hardships, the labors and the toils of life, and the perils, but he endured it all by faith. Think of all the things that Moses endured, leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, getting them out of Egypt, and then in the wilderness. For 40 long years, he led those miserable, unfaithful people. Many of them that just wandered around in the wilderness till they dead. They were dead. And yet we only see one time where Moses lost it. Just once. That he railed on them. How did he endure? 
his faith. You know, it seemed like it seemed like those things just kind of bounced off him. They didn't affect him. They didn't change him. Joshua, you know, the things that Joshua went through with, again, they just kind of bounced off of him. Revelation twelve eleven says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. You know, the shield of faith, if you have the shield of faith, you will not care or be deterred by what other people say or do. It will not change you. It will not change your direction. It will not change your trust in God. You need to simply say, I believe God. Amen, that's it. I'm not sure who this was said by, but somebody said to a preacher one time, I actually think it was Martin Luther. I don't really like quoting Martin Luther, but somebody said, to, I think it was him, the whole world's against you. He simply said that I'm against the whole world. Somebody said to Spurgeon, you're 100 years behind times. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was 1,900 years behind times. See, we need to put on a shield of faith to deflect, to put out. It's like you don't fear. You're going to be criticized. You're going to be, you're going to be maligned and say you're too narrow, you're pharisaical. That's the that's the big one, you know, with 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 the, uh, us as fundamental Bible believing Baptists. That's the accusation we often get. Well, um, aren't you kind of legalistic? You know, I I appreciate what Bob Mitchell said one time. He said, "When people say it to me, I I say, define that term for me, please." Because legalism has the idea of you're trusting your good works along. Like like the Judaizers, you know, you gotta you gotta trust Christ, but you gotta keep the law too. We don't believe that. But if you take the shield of faith, it extinguishes all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And notice he says, above all, you know what makes people discouraged the most is the things that other people say and do to them, say about them or do to them. So when you take that shield of faith. Fifthly, verse uh, 17, the helmet of salvation, verse 17 says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We need a helmet of salvation. Of course, this protects the head. And the head is, of course, the command center of our body. You know, In the military, if the command center is out of service, it leaves the platoons or the regiments without direction. Without direction. It can be chaotic. Confusion. It can be really a serious issue. And so we need to take the helmet. Uh, the helmet, the word helmet here means the figure, or the protection of the soul, which consists in the hope of salvation. Again, we're talking about the, 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 our knowledge, our understanding, the command center. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. So we, need, we, we have knowledge of the hope of our salvation. 
it, it's you know again it's 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 what's in our mind protecting our minds protecting our minds it protect you know the helmet of salvation protects us against discouragement against the desire to give up giving us hope not only in knowing that we are saved but that we will be saved it is an assurance that God will triumph. You know, because sometimes it looks like we're losing. Do you ever feel like we're losing? I mean, more people have left us and joined us. Doesn't it look like we're losing? But if we have the hope of salvation, we know that we are on the winning side. We may lose some battles here and there, but we know that how the end's going to come out because we have hope. And that is right here. The head, of course, is the knowledge center. Hope in God gives us direction. It gives us wisdom. It, it'll drive your decision-making process. And so that's why it's so important that we renew our minds. Ephesians 4.23 says, and be, you, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In Romans 12.2, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, what are you putting in your mind? Is it being cleansed or corrupted? Filled with good things or evil? Lovely things or lustful things? Pure things or putrid things? Virtuous things or violent things? In Philippians tells us some things we need to think on. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, what sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are of good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You see, we need to protect the head. We protect our heads, our minds. You know, if we know that we know that we are saved for all eternity, it's like a guard against being discouraged and quitting in the fight. You know, if you're in a fight, And it presently does not look good for you. Presently doesn't look good for you. But you know that in the end, you're going to win. That will encourage you to never give up. We're in a fight. We're in a fight. And sometimes we fail. Sometimes we lose. But if we keep it in our mind, the hope of salvation that is ours, eternal life through Christ, it will encourage us to never give up. Because in the end, we know how this all ends. Revelation 19 describes it for us. So the helmet of salvation. And then number six, 
the sword of the Spirit, or the Word of God, verse 17 again, and take and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the sword of the Spirit, the word sword here means which, that which the Spirit subdues to impulses, the impulses to sin proves its own power and effectiveness. So it's that which the Spirit uses or, or, or subdues with the impulses of sin and, and it uh, proves its own power and effectiveness. So it's, it's, it's called the sword of the Spirit. So we need to, be, to know how to use the sword. We need to take the sword. If we're going to win, if we're going to be effective in our walk with the Lord and, and be effective in our witness, we have to know how to use the sword. If you're, going to be, if you're going to win a battle, a fight with swords, you have to know how to use the sword. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It is the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God that is our weapon, offensive weapon, uh, against the things of this world. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Did I say 2 Corinthians? Actually, I think it's 1 Corinthians. No, it's 2 Corinthians 10. I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, when you're, when you're witnessing to somebody, what you're doing is, is be taking the word of God and convincing them of their error and their need to change their mind. You need to bring down their imagination and what they think about God and how they think they're going to get to heaven. You need to bring that down. Cast it down. How are you going to cast it down? How are you going to prove it's wrong? By the sword. The word of God. You have to prove to them by the word of God that their imagination or their thinking is wrong. And the word of God is like a sword. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12. The word of God is quick. means it's alive. And powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder in soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is like a sore that gets into the very marrow of your bones. You know, that's the, that's going to be the hardest place to get to. You know, we're talking about the thoughts and intents, in other words, your motives. Of your heart. It's going to reveal what people's or the error or their false ideas and their false intentions it will reveal. 
And then again, notice verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Still talking about the word of God. There's nothing hidden from the word of God. It can get into the very thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me give you an illustration. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And verse 3, John chapter 8 and verse 3, this is the account of the woman taking adultery. John 8 verse 3 says, And scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taking adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taking adultery in the very act. Now Moses and law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have uh, to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he had heard them not. So when they continued asking, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that was out sin among you, let him cast first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now, what happened here? Yeah, they thought they had the word of God. But the Son of God, who is the word of God, said, Ye that are without sin, cast the first stone. And all of a sudden, their ideas were all They were convicted. In other words, they were convinced. Their imaginations were cast down by the word of the living God. Their error was refuted. Look at Titus chapter 1 verse 9. Titus chapter 1 verse 9. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. So the word of God, you know, the spirit of God uses the word of God in the lives of people to ch- bring them into a uh, 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 line or bring them into agreement with the word of God to change or to cast down their wrong ideas. And so we, we need to We need to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It's going to, of course, require there to be a readiness. We know it. And and sometimes the Spirit of God uses His Word not necessarily spoken, but in our lives, how we live. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. Uh, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 3, 3, and it says, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. And he said something similar to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in verses 6 through 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10, uh, where he said, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were in samples 
to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they show that they themselves show of us what manner of entering we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And then one of the most well-known ones is 1 Peter 3, where it talks about the woman, or the wife, may win her husband, not by her word, but by her conversation. By her meek and quiet spirit, which the Bible says, in the sight of God is of a great price. So we need to know how to handle the word of God, to use it as our sword, but we also need to know how to live it. Because that speaks. That speaks very loudly. It's, it's often been said, um, your actions speak louder than your words. And so we need, we need to not only speak it or know how to, to give it, but we need to know how to live it. Uh, so we need to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then number seven, the last one here, and... I call this persevering. Verse 18. Notice verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So we need to be persevering in, in two things, prayer and watching. And, and you always, almost, I'm not going to say always, but many times you see those two things listed together, prayer and watching. You know, the word perseverance means steady persistence in a, in a, in a course of action uh, in spite of dis- difficulties or obstacles or discouragement. So we need to be persevering in prayer. In prayer, of course, is communication with God. It's worship. Uh, it, supplication has the idea of seeking or asking or entreating God, beseeching Him. You know, we don't tell Him what He needs to do for us. We ask Him. We beseech Him. We entreat Him. But prayer is communication. James 5, 16 says, Confess your faults one to another. Pray one to another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says to pray without ceasing. We need to have constant communication with the Lord. Communication is the key to successful relationships. And, of course, supplication is another word for prayer. It means you know, we, are, we ask or we entreat the Lord for things. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. We need to ask God. We have not because we ask not. And we need to be persevering in prayer. We also need to be persevering in watching. The word watching here means to be circumspect. It's a term... For wariness, wariness or wariness. I'm not sure how you pronounce that word. But being aware against spiritual dangers and beguilements. You know when a visitor stands up or, or says, could I share a testimony? I listen to every word. That's watching. That's watching. 
You know, we need to be watching constantly. Because we have a devil who's very wise. He's not all wise, not like God. He's very clever. He is very deceitful and sly. He knows what our weaknesses are. He knows how to get us. And then we need to be constantly watching. On guard. Ephesians 5.15 says that we're to walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. The word circumspectly, again, means careful. has the idea of carefulness. In the Gospels, you know, Jesus, when he was in the garden, in Matthew 26.41 says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. You know, they were at a point in time of discouragement. He's told them he's going to leave them. He's going to die. And they were in a very dangerous situation mentally and emotionally where they could have said, I'm done with this. And that's why he said, watch. Beware of yourself, Peter. Beware of yourself. Watch yourself. Satan desires to have you and sift you as wheat. Satan desires to have you and sift you as wheat. And we need to watch. We don't have on guard. Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Proverbs 8, 33 and 34 says, Hear instruction, be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth, watching daily at my gates, watching or waiting at the posts of my doors. You know, we've, we face a very powerful and deceitful and sly enemy. And we need to take up or to put on God's armor to be successful in this war we are engaged in. We battle our flesh. We are battling the world. We are battling the devil. It's a threefold assault or an ambush attempt. And we need God's power. We need His armor if we're going to be successful. We could boil it all down and say this is what we need to do. We need to be honest. You know, honest. One old preacher, I heard one old preacher say one time, he said, honesty is nothing more than just being humble. Being honest with yourself. Humble, uh, having humility with ourselves to see our need. We need God's armor. We are not sufficient in ourselves. Paul said, we are not sufficient in ourselves. We need to feed the head, the command center, with his word we need it so that we can have faith, the shield of faith. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to put on righteousness. That means we need to do what we hear. It gives us confidence in him and boldness versus fear. It gives us love versus fear. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. So feeding our mind and hearing. You know, if we do that, 
will know how to use the sword. We'll know how to use the sword. And of course, then, continual communication with headquarters, with constant vigilance. You know, Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, be sober, that has to do with the mind, being of a right mind. Be vigilant, there's your watching. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know, if you're going into the military, which I've never been in the military, but if you go into the military, they're going to prepare you for battle. That's what they do. They're going to supply you with weapons, protective gear, and instruct you how to use it. But when the battle comes... You must put on that protective gear, and you must take those weapons. You must take them up and use them, or you're going to die. You're going to fail if you do not. And the Bible says that we are to take, he says, to take unto you. This is a command. Take unto you the whole armor of God. Put it on. It is and the word there of the whole armor has the idea of panoplia, complete. As you, we have the head, we have the breasts, we have the loins, we have the feet, and we have a shield. We have a sword. We are fully equipped. We just need to put it on. So if we want to be effective and faithful... We have to take up God's armor. Are you taking it up? You know, that's going to require exercising ourselves in the Word of God. If you, again, if you go into the military, they're going to train you. And to be trained, you have to cooperate. That means you have to go along with the drills day in, day out. And those drills, all of them are the same every day. I'm told they can get very monotonous. But what are they doing? They're training you to respond in a right way. When you get into a battle, you'll know how to act. You'll know how to respond. Because you have continually prepared yourself. You know, this, this taking up the armor of God needs to be continual. We need to continue to do it every day. Yesterday will not work for tomorrow. And today will not work for Tuesday. We do it every day. So take up God's armor that you may be able to stand.